FDBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Wow, it has been a very long week in some ways. Many of you out there, like uh, most of the people that we've been talking to on our show this week, have been up until all hours watching as vote totals continue to come in. And it, but in the other, in another sense, it feels like the week has sped by uh, because we've been focused less on what day it is than on what's happening with the counts. Uh, some big, big news. Uh, as you just heard on the NPR newscast, uh, President, uh, I'm sorry, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden has taken a lead of about 5,000 or so votes in Pennsylvania. Uh, that's uh, certainly if that lead continues as they finish up counting the votes there, that in itself is enough to uh, put him over the top. But in the meantime, uh, as you heard at the top of our show, uh, Joe Biden uh, early this morning went ahead in Georgia by just over a thousand votes and they're still counting to do. We'll talk more specifically about what comes next in uh, the Georgia contest. All that said, let's get right to our panel this morning. Uh, Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, is with us. He oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com and, of course, appears in the Wednesday and Sunday newspaper with his columns. And, Jim, uh, it does look like today finally could be the day when we learn two things. Has Georgia turned blue in terms of the presidential contests? And has Joe Biden, in fact, uh, become the president-elect of the United States? And I have to say, Jim, uh, I can't imagine anybody I'd rather have with us as we count down to what could be uh, the final conclusion of this race. You've been part of the show forever, and I'm glad you're here today, Jim. Well, thank you. Thank you. And it's it, th this is truly a historical uh, moment, a, a one of these rare breakthroughs in Georgia politics uh, that that you're just kind of privileged to be able to watch watch happen, even if it, even if it means staying up hour after hour after hour. <laughs> That's true. Uh, we do want to point out that we still have votes to count in Georgia, and the need is so narrow, lead is so narrow, that we can't say for certain that Biden will win Georgia, but right now he has taken the lead. Adam Van Brimmer, editorial editor of the uh, Savannah News, is with us uh, this morning as well. Adam, I assume you and your team over there at Savannah News have been paying close attention to how Savannah's responding to what's going on with the election. Yeah, Bill, about the only people busier are probably the folks at the Board of Elections who I believe have wrapped up the majority of their work now, and our votes are, are in and uh, with the Secretary of State. So that's, that's, a, that's progress. I think Biden in the county, uh, your county leads by about 19 percent, uh, 19 points ahead of uh, uh, President Trump, right? Yes, yes. And that's not that's not particularly surprising. We are a we are a blue county. We are yeah. heavily Democrat, especially within the city of Savannah. Uh, Karen Owen, a political science professor at the University of West Georgia, is uh, with us again today. And uh Dr. Owen, I always love to mention the fact that in the middle of this election, you are teaching the absolutely best possible course you could. Remind everybody what it is. American government. Introduction to American government. Absolutely. <laughs> we should also say that Karen has a great experience on Capitol Hill, having worked up there when Nathan Deal was in his office when he was a member of Congress. So she's seen... Uh, the um, political world from inside in her experience up there. We're also joined again today, I'm happy to say, by uh, Mariella Romero. She is the Regional Community Empowerment Director of Univision. Um, Mariella, it's great to have you back on, too. Uh, you also have your own show on uh, Univision. Remind everybody what it is and basically the kind of show you're doing. Yes, thank you, Bill. It's um, Conexión Fin de Semana on uh, Channel 34. is a news magazine on the weekend, 6 p.m. and 11 p.m. And we, you know, we tackle all topics uh, from current events. And then we do a lot of uh, community 
conversations with organizations that are helping uh, the Latino community in many, many different fronts. Well, I'm, I'm really glad you're here today to talk about all of the topics we're going to discuss. But, of course, it's going to be interesting to hear your take on how the Latino vote um, was not some monolithic force. And we'll get to that in a, a little while because that's going to be an interesting conversation. Jim, let me start with you. Uh, a thousand votes ahead. Uh, Joe Biden right now in Georgia. Uh, he j- just to go over a couple of uh, a few counties, he Uh, Biden is ahead, as you'd expect, by 46 points in Fulton County, certainly the the, uh, biggest and most Democratic uh, county uh, uh, we have, you know, total votes for at this point. He's up by 18 points right now in Gwinnett. They're still counting. Cobb, he's up by 14. DeKalb, where I'm not sure all the votes are in or not, but there he's up by 67 uh, points. And um, so it, I'm, I'm looking for Clayton, and there it is. Clay, Biden is up by 71 points, Jim, in Clayton County. Um, and I guess they're the biggest because I think all their votes are, are now all in, too. And as a number of commentators this morning have pointed out, it is certainly poetic justice that he went ahead of Donald Trump in the county that was at the center of John Lewis's congressional district. Right, right. That was about 4.15 a.m. this morning. Uh, And we've got uh, 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 Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, just put out a a memo. We've got 8,197 votes left outstanding, and those votes are in Floyd, Gwinnett, Lawrence, and Taylor counties. Uh, The most are in Gwinnett. Uh, And and, and those are, as you pointed out, uh, Biden was taking Gwinnett, so you can expect you can probably expect those uh, those, those absentee ballots to reflect that. It's 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 you know I I, I hate to say it, Bill, and I, I've, I've because I've said it so many times on this show. Uh, this is this is the revenge of suburbia, uh, kind of on, on on Donald Trump, and it's 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 very reminiscent of of 1980. When we had when 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 Cobb and Gwinnett went Republican rather than Democrat, they went Republican, mm-hmm. and they turned a U.S. Senate race around overnight. Karen, we should point out that uh, if, I don't. We don't know how many votes are outstanding uh, in some of those counties. But for instance, if Floyd is still out, uh, Floyd has Trump ahead by forty-two points at this uh, moment, and so you would expect that there are still some votes. For Trump and maybe some substantial votes for Trump in our outlying counties. Yes. Yes, I think that is probably true. So, I mean, we just remember back on Sunday night, Trump was in Floyd County at the Rome Airport. So, I would imagine that yes, yep. he will pick up uh, votes out of Floyd. But I think the point here is how many are coming in still from Gwinnett, and and Biden has done really well in Gwinnett, and can that offset these other pickups that Trump? can uh, bring in. And again, I think we're looking at such a tight and narrow margin. Um, Mariella, uh, it's it's fascinating to watch this unfold here. The, um, the, the possibility that Biden wins Georgia, he will become the first Democrat to win this state in the presidential race since uh, 1992 when Bill Clinton did it. Uh, what impact has has the Hispanic community? We haven't looked at demographics yet, and I don't know if you have, but we've got to imagine that it is the growing diversity, including Hispanic and Asian voters in counties like uh, Gwinnett and DeKalb, that have had some impact on uh, the totals here this year. Yes, yes. Um, diversity certainly has played a role. Um, we don't have the data yet uh, on the turnout, of, you know, Hispanics living in rural counties versus the ones in urban and suburbia. Um, we can imagine that you will see a lot of uh, Latinos who voted for President Trump in the rural counties uh, because the Latino support in general, it seems from the exit polling around the country, shows that they supported uh, Donald Trump in larger numbers than in 2016. 
But I would say that uh, the Latino vote in Atlanta, for certain, in Cobb County and Gwinnett, probably went for uh, Vice President Biden. Um, Adam, we are seeing more than ever the urban-rural split. So that when when Mariella talks about the fact that uh, Hispanics and Latinos in outlying counties in more uh, ex-urban, rural areas of the state went for Trump, and in town they went for Biden, uh, more than ever this election proves to us just how divided the country is along geographic lines, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's somewhat hard to wrap your head around the the whole urban rural divide and and how this election really shows that in uh, obviously I think Donald Trump has played a part in driving a wedge and I, and I think a lot of people on the left have as well in terms of trying to emphasize our differences rather than looking for commonalities and of course that makes sense in an election because you're trying to get elected but at the same time the, the reality is in this country that that we do best when we when we pull together and, and work together. But I, I hate to say it, but I, I wonder if that, if that, if those days aren't over and what it would take to get us back to those days is, uh, you know, I don't want to think about it. I, I think the last time we were really unified was after, was after nine 11. And we certainly don't want to have to have something like nine 11 happen again in order for us to kind of find our, our common unity. You know, to, uh, to Adam's point, uh, he, we once held out just a, 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 some hope that that this pandemic would have a silver lining and do exactly that, uh, unify the country, uh, as as World War II did. Uh, but uh, but clearly the the pandemic has become something uh, just as 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 polarized as as uh, as any other issue in in the United States, and it's it's. It's it's kind of disheartening, and you wonder if this kind of tribalism is going to stay with us uh, until uh, until uh, people like you and me, Bill, age out and uh, and and leave the scene. So you started, Bill, by asking um, about this rural and urban divide, and if you look at the states that are still left right now, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, North Carolina. Three of those are significant growth states in the South. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at a unique growth around an urban center like Atlanta or Phoenix or the the, uh, Triangle, Raleigh-Durham area. And I think that is playing, too, because we have growth in the suburbs around people coming in, changing partisan uh, affiliations, bringing different ideas. And I think, you know, here in Georgia is unique. And the fact that we had a lot of young voters, and they don't even remember 1992 Bill Clinton taking the state. <laughs> They've grown up in Republicanism, <laughs> but yet their 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 beliefs and their ideas are shaped post 9/11, and they were voting this time. I've got you know what I should have asked you this question long ago, but you just made me realize now is a great moment to ask it. What have your students said? As the election is unfolded, what what are the issues? What how are they talking about Trump versus Biden, Republicans versus Democrats? So I think, you know, my small sample size of students, not definitely all students, they really talk about the economy and what they see their life could be like in four years upon graduation. Can they graduate? Can they find a job? Uh, I think a lot of them are extremely concerned about their student loan debt where that places them. So when, when each Democratic candidate talks about the idea of loan forgiveness or opportunities with classes that could be for free at the colleges, that is appealing to them. I think the virus, they're concerned if their families have been affected, but it wasn't, I don't think, shaping their decision on which candidate was handling it. You know, that's really interesting, uh, Adam. The um, I have, a lot of us have been saying I'm not alone in this that this was going to be the uh, COVID nineteen election uh, that Donald Trump's handling of the virus uh, would be uh, perhaps the biggest issue that people would vote on. In fact, the first analysis of laying uh, where votes were coming from and areas of heavy concentrations of COVID nineteen show that Trump, in fact, got some of his biggest support from areas of the country where COVID-19 is, uh, is at its worst. 
Um, and in fact, as you looked at exit polls, COVID-19 didn't play as big a role as many people thought it would. Adam? Yeah, I've quit trying to figure out how Donald Trump seems to be able to to do the things he does with with certain voters in the following. And he's, you know, from the very start, he's worked to to put the best spin on it he can to reflect on how he's handled the virus. And uh, it's it's obviously done. It's obviously uh, resonated with some people. And I think also putting the putting the messaging about how you need to be afraid of what the radical left is going to do has resonated with people, especially seniors. And he's say what you want about Donald Trump, but he seems to be able to really stoke a lot of passion and really resonate with with people, no matter sometimes discounting some of the other things that that he says. It's, It's quite a miracle. Yes, and, and to uh, go further with that, um, I think Trump uh, started to woo Latinos uh, during this uh, four years because he appealed to more pragmatic interests. Uh, and he presented himself as the protector of religious freedom and small businesses. And that, that kind of messaging really appeals to conservatives of every ethnicity. I was listening on MSNBC that, uh, you know, a larger number of Muslim Americans supported uh, Donald Trump. And, and you would think, wow, how is that possible? So I think um, to the president's credit, he, he understood that uh, some of conservative values will resonate with many uh, diverse ethnicities who are conservative. Um, Let's do this now. We heard yesterday from both Joe Biden and President Trump talking about where they stood, where we stood with the election. Um, I want to listen to a little of both and use it uh, to trigger some conversations. Uh, Let's start with Joe Biden uh, speaking from Wilmington, Delaware. In America, the vote is sacred. It's how people of this nation express their will. And it is the will of the voters, no one, not anything else, that chooses the president of the United States of America. So each ballot must be counted. And that's what we're going to see going through now. And that's how it should be. Democracy is sometimes messy. It sometimes requires a little patience as well. But that patience has been rewarded now for more than 240 years with a system of governance that's been the envy of the world. You know, Jim, um, one of the things I didn't want to play too long a soundbite. I wanted more time for conversation. But one of the things that's noteworthy about Joe Biden's statement yesterday is he didn't begin it by talking about the election. He began it by talking about COVID-19 Uh, by sending out his sympathies to people who have relatives, friends who are uh, suffering with the disease right now, uh, sending his condolences to those who have lost people they love to the virus. And then he talked about uh, the election. And and I think whether you want Joe Biden to be the next president or not, uh, this is part of who this man is and always has been. Yeah, and and, and I think, look, this is, I think... It's going to be very difficult for Donald Trump to come back and win this election. I mean, extremely difficult. And I, I think what we're what we saw with that with that what we heard with that clip was was uh, the beginning of a Biden presidency and 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 mm-hmm. a, a very careful effort to to take some some to to lower lower the the lower the the rhetoric the fiery rhetoric rhetoric that that were that were kind of in the midst of and to calm people down just a little bit. So I think Jim's point there is correct on the turn of presidential leadership emerging from Biden, and I think that started Tuesday night or into Wednesday morning when he first came out and spoke. You know, he's shifting from campaign mode, slugfest to win, to now talking about where we move forward, and if he's the president, showing that leadership and calming. And also, I think, going back to remind Americans, which is what I do every day with students in American government, which is it's the voice of the people here. 
It's the consent of the governed. And this is what democratic representation looks like. And so we need to, you know, pay attention. That's what's the foundation of this government. And it's beautiful about it and what we want to continue to think about. Adam and Mariella, I want to play now a little sound from Donald Trump, who uh, went into the press briefing room at the White House last night, made his first comments uh, since election early in the morning on election uh, night. Uh, And here is just a little bit of what he had to say uh, last night after Biden talked. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes... They can try to steal the election from us. And uh, there are many instances which will be reported very shortly. There's tremendous litigation going on. And this is a case where they're trying to steal an election. They're trying to rig an election. So, Mariella, I did not want to play much more of President Trump. But that's the gist of what he had to say. And I think it's important we hear where he's coming from right now. And at the same time, it is equally important to say without any partisan affiliation that almost everything he said in the briefing room last night was misinformation, a lie. There is no indication that there have been votes stolen, that Democrats are trying to win the election through fraud. And I think that's a crucial point to make. And again, I don't think it's partisan to say we got to be careful right now. Absolutely. And the contrast is so obvious. It's so, it's so big. So um, you are correct. Uh, it, it was not true what the president said. And it's important that the media amplify uh, this. And, and we, I think that this is a moment where the leaders of the uh, Republican Party need to unite and also denounce uh, the lies that we have been hearing from uh, this administration and specifically from the president. I think it is important if we want to uh, restore our democratic values and, and our standing around the world with the most precious thing that America has uh, exported, that is our democracy. So Trump started this narrative. He started this narrative before the election was even held. He reinforced it hours after the election ended. And he gets up there and says what you just played. And I don't think anybody is is shocked by this. But what Mary Ellis said is really gets at the point of the matter is is that that the Republican leadership beyond President Trump, if there is such a thing anymore, are the ones that need to stand up. I mean, when President Trump says that all the states – where we're having this supposed voter fraud are Democratic states. Well, I, last I checked, Brad Raffensperger is not a Democrat. And in Georgia, yeah, the state is, is swinging this election. <laughs> it's just it's, – it's, it's one of these things, and it, more than anything that has happened, this is what really pains me the most because President Trump for four years has worked to undermine a lot of the ideals that we have in this country. And I'm not saying that as a partisan. I'm saying that as an American. He has worked to undercut so many things in this country, and now he is working to undercut and question the integrity of the most important thing in this country, which is our elections. Jim, you tweeted yesterday uh, that very thing. The last time you looked, Brian Kemp was a Republican governor. Right, right. And, and, and Trump, has, Trump uh, has put kind of uh, Kemp and Raffensperger in a, in a real awkward position. Uh, because clearly, they, uh, Raffensperger in particular is 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 in charge of the vote. Uh, I mean, I, I got a I got a reaction from uh, from his office uh, 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 early this morning uh, to to Donald Trump's uh, comments and Donald Trump Jr.'s comments in Georgia, uh, which I think which I think you've got some sound on. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if we'll have time to hear it, but uh, this is this. Yeah, comes we're going to play it, but go ahead. This comes from Jordan Fuchs, uh, the, de- the deputy secretary. Georgians deserve real, accurate election results. The presidential race has yet to be called because the margin of what is outstanding is too slim here in Georgia. Elections, election workers around the state are working with integrity to ensure every legal ballot is counted. And we have been in this situation before. I mean, if you if you go back to the Sonny Purdue victory in 2002, who was the mm-hmm. Secretary of State then? That was Kathy Cox, a Democrat. Kathy Cox. Yeah. 
Karen? So I was just going to, you know, Adam and Mary Ellen made the point about Republican leadership. And then Jim made the comment earlier that it's looking as if Biden will probably win other states and win the presidency. So that has to be a wake up to Republicans that they've got to step up and have leadership because Trump will not be at the top of the ticket come January. He will not be the leader. And so I think I was going to make the point, you know, Georgia is not only secretary of state and Kemp as governor Republicans, but we now have these two Senate contests. And our two Republican senators currently, where are they talking about the votes and the votes being counted accurately here in the state? I think this is a chance for them to step up, show some unique leadership, because they're in a runoff where they've got to talk to voters who need to cast those votes again and feel confident about those votes. In in fact, Bill, uh, just building on what Karen said, I think what you might be seeing is a lot of this disinformation and resentment over the result of the election is going to be used to 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 uh, to really keep uh, Republican voters engaged through December and into January, so they can be called. So 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 you'll still have that emotion uh, emotion lingering on January five. All right, I have to get to a break. Uh, before I do, I, I want to pick up on the, j- just this notion of uh, Mariella started it. Where are Republicans right now in terms of responding to Donald Trump? Not, not, not to whether Donald Trump retains the White House, but the way he is speaking right now about our democratic institutions and about elections, the fair and free process of elections. And, and here's what I thought about last night. On August 7th, 1974... Barry Goldwater uh, and John Rhodes, a Republican, uh, you know, uh, uh, who were both Arizona senators, and and Minority Leader Hugh Scott, another Republican from Pennsylvania in that case, went to President Nixon. They went to the White House and they said, you have lost the ability to to lead. Uh, the, The Watergate hearings have gone against you. All the evidence is that you did commit crimes in office. You have lost the support of the people. And a day later, President Nixon announced his resignation. I am certainly not suggesting that Donald Trump should resign, but I am asking, where is the courage of Republican leaders uh, like a Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy uh, and others to go to the president and say, you have to stop denigrating the American process of voting. And so far, we've seen very little of that. And I do want to pick up on that, at least briefly, when we come back from this break. You're listening to Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Adam Van Brimmer from the Savannah Morning News, Mariella Romero from Univision, Karen Owen, University of West Georgia, and Jim Galloway with me uh, today. A couple of quick notes. Number one, we'll be live again at 2 this afternoon. We absolutely have to be as the fluidity of the Georgia election uh, continues and, and, and clearly the election across the United States. Number two, uh, this is such a cliffhanger here in Georgia and elsewhere. Uh, if you want to keep up with this, uh, whether you're listening to the radio or our podcast or not, uh, just go to gpb.org elections, where uh, our digital team is doing a great job uh, keeping everything updated as we move forward. Um, Adam Van Brimmer, uh, let me come to you on this first. Um, Donald Trump Jr. was in Atlanta last night, and with him in downtown Atlanta were uh, uh, Doug Collins and uh, Vernon Jones, who, of course, became a a Trump supporter uh, right before the Republican convention, a very loud uh, supporter of the president, gave him some, he hoped, credibility in the black community. That is a a question we're not going to be able to answer whether that worked or not. I want to listen to just a little of what Don Jr. said 
in downtown Atlanta in front of a group of his of the Trump supporters and then talk about uh, the larger issue of where Republicans are who are going to speak out about this attempt to undermine dem- democracy. Georgia, it's going to be important, and I'm excited to have these guys on our team as well as Kelly Loeffler and the others that are going to be coming down to be a part of this. David Perdue and Sonny Perdue, all of these people that are Georgia guys that understand what's happening here, they're a part of this team because guess what? You're going to have another election here in about two months that could decide the fate of the United States Senate. So we're going to be watching this nonsense because everyone knows what's going on. Everyone understands it. And the media, who, let's not kid ourselves, have given up the pretense of objectivity to be cheerleaders for the left, they're going to go nuts. But Donald Trump is going to fight each and every one of these things so we have a fair election, regardless of that outcome. Americans need to know that this is not a banana republic. And right now, right now, right now, very few people have faith that that's not the case. All right. So, Adam, number one, he accused Georgia Democrats of trying to steal the election here. We should point out that that charge, there is no evidence of that whatsoever. Doug Collins essentially said the same thing. And you know what, Adam? I've actually got an invitation for Doug Collins. We know we all know him. Galloway and I have worked with him for a long time. Uh, You know, I'm I would love Doug Collins, if he's listening, uh, can come on the show this afternoon, if he has some evidence that there has been fraud in the Georgia election or in any election anywhere in the country, I would love to have him present it on our show. We'll get a national scoop. So, Doug, if you're listening, show us the evidence and come on the show and prove it. In the meantime, Adam, this is incredibly offensive. All those election workers out there working 18, 19 hours a day are being disrespected by Republicans. Yes, and it really speaks to what I think we've got to call it what it is, an existential crisis in the Republican Party. Because as we came into this election, we all know that that the Republican Party of today is not what it was four years ago or five years ago. It's really become the party of Trump and and embraced populism. And there was two trains of thought here, right, was if if Trump loses, then everybody's going to – all the Republicans are going to whoosh, you know, and and turn on him and and basically – try to negate him and appeal back to a lot of the voters that they have lost over the last four years. Or the other was that, that they would double down on him and look to, and look to four years from now. And, and basically the Republican party would then, we could honestly call it the, the, the party of Trump. Well, here's the problem. The election was so close. And people will look at the, at the, at the popular vote and say, well, it's four to 5 million votes. But when you look at, the states that are going to determine this election, it is razor, razor thin. And if you're a Republican, then you look at it and you, you've got to kind of hedge your bets. Do I stick Do I stick with Trump? He's obviously very, very popular. What do I risk by turning on Trump and, and maybe looking somewhere else? And, and it goes back to what we were talking about before, is do we have enough strong Republican leaders out there who are willing to kind of step out? You know, it's one of those, you know, when the real leaders step up and everybody steps backwards. Uh, do we have somebody that's going to step up, and how soon are they going to do it? Right, and and look, Adam, I think you're exactly right. Uh, I would, I would, I would add this. I would say that uh, number one, remember that that Trump, if if he loses this election, he would he would remain president through January twentieth, and that means through this through 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 this election. Uh, th- these two runoff elections that that Georgia is is likely to have, and the uh, that will determine uh, control of the U.S. Senate, and uh, and again, I think just like I, I think uh, that that clip uh, Bill that you played of Donald Trump Jr., I think that was that was the start of this campaign, and it is going to be it, it's it's going to be filled. Uh, filled with talk about uh, a a race stolen, and and that's going to be the chief talking point. Yeah, and and Mariella and Karen beyond uh, our special our our runoff elections. Here's what I also think is interesting, Mariella. Um, yesterday, uh, two very prominent uh, Republican senators stood up in sh- and showed their support of President Trump. Uh, Lindsey Graham 
And Marco Rubio both said, yeah, the president has a point. We can't allow Democrats to steal it. In the most cynical way possible, you can sort of understand that they're already launching their 2024 presidential bids. Um, but the but Doug Collins now, he's no longer a member of Congress. I don't get what his advantage is right now. Um, it looks like Joe Biden will be president. There's not going to be any federal job waiting for Doug for standing up for uh, President Trump right now. Um, but anyhow, talk about this notion that a Marco Rubio is looking already to 2024. Yes, and, and, you know, a lot of people uh, were not uh, counting. You know, when you compare the support of Latinos, for example, in Florida, uh, that came, uh, the numbers for Hillary Clinton, their support was higher than this time around. Nobody is talking of the Marco Rubio factor. You know, uh, in 2016, Marco Rubio was an opponent of President Trump in the primaries. And now, you know, he is looking to beyond, you know, 2024. He wants that base for himself, and he was supporting the president in, in Florida. So I think a lot of Latinos voted for uh, President Trump in, in Florida because of the support of Marco Rubio. But, you know, uh, Bill, to what uh, Jim and, and Adam were saying, and there is a great article on Time magazine by Molly Ball, and she says, even if Joe Biden wins, he will govern in Donald Trump's America. And I think that's where some of the uh, GOP leaders are still, that's why they are not denouncing Donald Trump in the strongest possible ways, because they know that that base is in, in love with the president. Yes, and I was going to add that, you know, the House picked up, the U.S. House, they picked, the Republicans picked up seats. And partly those seats came because of Donald Trump being the president and turning out his base, getting voters who had not been engaged prior to 2016. They voted in 2016, didn't vote in 2018, and he turned them back out in 2020. So I think the Republicans are caught because in many ways they got some advantage in this election because Trump. But yet now this rhetoric is somewhat not helpful to them because here they are advancing either like in Georgia where they've got to be in additional elections and you want to ensure voters are coming back out. So you need to rev up the base and generate them to turn out. But also ask those voters who probably did in some ways split tickets, some moderate Republicans who voted for Biden but then came down ticket and still supported Republicans that they need to turn back out and get back engaged for the Republican Party. So, um, Karen, Jim Galloway uh, earlier in the show talked about when are we going to see an end to the hateful, poisonous, partisan divide? Um, and, and if, in fact, the Marco Rubios and Lindsey Grahams of the world uh, prevail, at least if they continue the rhetoric that they've been using now and are going to carry it into a campaign in 2024, it's not going to end anytime soon. Uh, they, they seem to believe right now, as you're kind of describing, that it is in their best interests to continue trying to hold on to that base, assuming they are going to run for president. And I get that's a big assumption, but I think it's probably true. On the other hand, you've got a Larry Hogan governor of Mer Republican in Maryland, who for quite a while now has been critical of Trump in, in important moments and who is now saying he is one of those outspoken Republicans saying, stop this effort to tear down democracy. Um, it's going to be fascinating to watch uh, how that unfolds in terms of the moderates like a Mitt Romney, like a Larry uh, Hogan, uh, uh, compared to a Marco Rubio, isn't it, Karen? Oh, absolutely. And I think you could even put in someone like Susan Collins, who is able to win her reelection in Maine in a blue state. And and it is very challenging times because if you look at the states we're still watching, they are so evenly divided, which means people are divided. And so I think you're going to have to see charismatic leadership that understands America, the values we put forth and really talk about it. And you know, my students always say, oh, Dr. Owen, you're so optimistic. You so believe in the American values. And I do. I believe in the ideas, and I want that shared. And I think it's time 
if we see politicians want to do that, even if it does cost them in the long run electorally, are they willing to stand firm for America and the, the values we've always put forth? Yeah, and it's so calculated, right? We're talking about Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz here who are standing up for the president. Four years ago, President Trump is, is, is insulting Marco Rubio over the size of his hands. He's calling, he's calling Ted Cruz's wife names. It's just it boggles the mind. And, yes, it is going to require some people with some real gumption to step up and kind of redefine what the Republican Party is. And the, the crazy thing is, is so much of it has been so much of so many of them have been that have stepped up and stepped out against Trump in the last four years have been poisoned. People like John Kasich. I mean, there's, there's Republicans now that, you know, you mentioned John Kasich's name and, you know, they're spitting on the sidewalk. And it's just it's it's really amazing. And it, maybe Nikki Haley is that person. Or maybe once he's out of the office and we get a little bit of time behind us, we'll see people kind of gravitate, come into their own. But I, I firmly believe that four years from now we're either going to see Trump again or one of the Trump kids. That's that's the way I see it going. Yeah, it's, that that's now that is an interesting thought. And which is is it going to be Ivanka or is it going to be Don Jr.? Uh, I, I I want I want to be at that Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, <laughs> but 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 ahead, I, I, I will, you know I was I was talking to Bob Trammell. He's the House Minority Leader in the in the state capitol, uh, and uh, he, who lost his election on Tuesday. Uh, Democrats had only picked up only one seat in the state house. It was it was quite the disappointment from them. But he he, he what he told me, and I I think this applies to the nation as a whole. He says Georgia has become a line of scrimmage state. That and and and. And in, in, in it's going to be. It, 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 we're, we're, I think we're in for a period of of trench warfare, and I think the Biden's very very close election. And, and as Adam pointed out, just the razor thin margin in these border states. I think that tells you that this fight is far from over. Uh, we're going. We're, it's 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 going to linger on uh, uh, probably through the next decade. I would I would guess. Mm. I just wanted to mention something that, you know, Don Jr. was mentioning. If this is not a, a banana republic, but if for 2024 we have one of the kids, uh, Ivanka or Don, as the nominee for the Republican Party, then this would be a fulfilling prophecy because it would be the perfect example of a banana republic. So, uh, you know, it is, it is like Adam said, mind-boggling. <laughs> Uh, all right. Mariella Romero, you get the last word in this segment of the show. Uh, when we come back, let's turn to a couple of other important uh, developments that have taken place. Number one, uh, the David Perdue-John Ossoff race. And number two, let's talk about what happened in the Georgia legislative races, especially the Georgia House. You're listening to Political Rewind. Once again, uh, join us this afternoon for a live show at 2. Votes continue to be counted in Georgia and across the country in key states, and we want to keep you up to speed on what's happening. So again today, uh, we will be live at uh, 2 o'clock. The other quick thing to point out, Jim Galloway, I'm very excited about Monday. You, Michael Thurman, the historian Michael Thurman, not the political Michael Thurman, and John Pruitt and I, John Pruitt, for those of you in Metro Atlanta know him as uh, one of the ho- most highly respected uh, anchors in the Southeast and uh, a great political reporter in his earlier days at Channel 2 News. We're all going to be putting this election in context and look at Georgia political history, recent political history. That, Jim Galloway, really ought to be a fun conversation. <laughs> How many years have we got among us? Uh, I would, you know, about about uh, seventeen hundred. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let's let's move on. Uh, Jim, the Purdue people have got to be pounding their heads against the wall this morning as the votes continue to come in. 
Uh, Purdue, who for two days, two plus days, was hovering over 50 percent over the threshold for winning without a runoff, has now fallen to 49.8 percent. Outright victory, so close, and yet so far, it does look like that race is going to go to a runoff. Right, right. Uh, they, uh, his campaign put out a, a statement uh, yesterday that, in essence, acknowledged that that they 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 they, they kind of knew that this this was going to happen and that the numbers were going to stay where they were. I mean, Purdue's, Purdue's uh, object all along was to 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 see if he could run a little bit ahead of of Donald Trump. And as I'm looking at the numbers now. They are, you know, they're they're maybe half a percentage point apart. Uh, David Perdue is running half a percentage yep. point apart. Where where in the past you might have a Johnny Isaacson running, say, five points ahead of of a Republican presidential candidate in in election, uh, and 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 that has made all the difference. And what it but what it does is is it it as we've stated it 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 will put uh, control of the U.S. Senate on the on on on. On on Georgia soil, it, it it will be up to us to decide who controls uh, whether Biden gets a a Democratic controlled Senate or whether Mitch McConnell uh, remains in power. And so it's going to be just uh, one one heck of a nine nine week sprint through Christmas, through Thanksgiving, through New Year's. <laughs> Karen. So interesting, you know, you mentioned that Purdue is just slightly, you know, ahead of how the Trump numbers are coming in. But Ossoff is actually below <laughs> the Biden numbers. And I actually went back and looked. And if you look at his percent right now at 47.8, which is what I had right before we went on the air, um, he is actually less a percent than what Abrams had in 2018. So I think we have to keep it in the context of what we have seen, you know, and we have actually 900,000 more voters right now than we had in 2016. So, I mean, just think about, you know, he still has a hurdle if this goes into a runoff to get more votes out um, because he's not even meeting the threshold that Biden has and, you know, what that might be. I think also we need to think about outside ad buys. I heard yesterday 250 million has already been pledged into ad buys. I don't know how accurate that is. My guess it is it is. And I wanna know why I'm not a part of the media ownership. <laughs> right? For the next nine weeks. <laughs> uh Mariella. Yes, and you are so correct, Karen. Uh we are looking for those ad buys because you know, during this election cycle I am overseeing also Pennsylvania and North Carolina, and we receive so many uh, advertisement dollars for uh, those two markets. But Georgia completely ignored. They didn't want to post ads in the Latino media. So when uh, these two races went to runoff, that was one of the first conversations that we had. Oh, my goodness, finally, we're going to get some dollars. You know, hopefully we're going to get some dollars uh, to reach the Latino community. But I think the the Democrats are a little behind in talking to to Latino voters. They just want to take them when, when, you know, things are coming down to the wire. And and the the approach to the Latino voter has to be uh, long term. It has not, it's too reactionary right now. It's just, you know, placing ads the last, weeks of an election and I think uh, Latino voters see through that and uh, you know if they really want to get the Latino vote out for these two crucial races for the control of the Senate they need to do a better job so my first question is there still money in the media did somebody just <laughs> did somebody just say that and admit that <laughs> no, <laughs> the interesting thing with the runoffs is the fact that at least traditionally we know that Republicans tend to come out for runoffs a lot more frequently than Democrats. So is all of that money going to be enough on the Democratic side to get people to come out and vote? And are people going to realize what's at stake? I mean, if the way this looks, the way this looks to me right now is that both Georgia races would have to go to the Democrats in order to get the 50-50 split and give Democrats control of the Senate. And then the next question for that is, is that a good thing? Is it a good thing to have all three legislative powers, the, the executive branch, the, the Senate and the House, 
all in the same party, or do we need something to be a check and a balance? And I think that's all going to play out over the next two months or so. All right. We've got nine weeks to talk about that election. Uh, Jim, do you want to weigh in quickly? Because I want to get to your column about what happened in legislative races, but go ahead and make your point about the uh, runoffs. Uh, no, no, I just and, and and this will feed into it. Look, uh, uh, we have to remember that that this uh, this will be a paired election with Warnock and Leffler in the other race, and so that so having Warnock on the ticket gives the Dem- Democrats a, 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 a that's that's one good thing on their side. They'll have some something to to motivate uh, uh, black voters with with the problem is going to be uh, COVID nineteen. It's going to get worse in Georgia. And it what what we what we saw on Tuesday was that it really took a toll on 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 the blue wave that that Democrats were expecting in Georgia. That's a, yeah, that's what your column refers to this morning. Democrats were very disappointed. They really were trying to charge ahead to see if they could take control of the state house, and they fell vel- dramatically short. They didn't even come close. Uh, and 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 in uh, Congress, in the U.S. House, uh, Democrats across the country also had an extraordinarily disappointing election. Jen Jordan on our show yesterday, Jim, told us the same thing she is quoted as saying in your column, that she thinks that because Democrats respected the virus and didn't get out there the way Republicans did, that hurt them in races across the country. That makes some sense, but there are a lot more uh, issues at play than just that. Right there, there are many issues. I mean, Biden didn't have all that much of a uh, coattail effect in, in here in 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 Georgia, but but the point is, I, I think especially on the House races, you're trying to unseat incumbents, and if you're going to do that. At, at the state legislative level, that's not done on TV. That's done face to face. It's done door to door, and it's hand, it's 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 face to face conversations, and it's getting people to meet at the church parking lot. And we're going to hire three vans, and we're going to drive you to the polls. That has been ruled out of right. bounds, and that really cuts into the Democratic ground game. Karen, I know I you want to get a word in. We're almost out of time, but go ahead. I was I was going to say, Jim is absolutely right. And to add on that, the Democrats had to have extremely good quality candidates. And the state, they have not been putting forth a lot of state House, state Senate candidates. Like they, you know, so that building that infrastructure comes so that you have candidates out who know what they need to do to reach voters. Adam, get in a quick final word. Right. I was just going to mention one of the House races here was Ron Stevens, who has been in the Georgia House for since the since the 20th century. And he was in a district that is very divided. And he ran against a Democrat who had no background. And instead of being close, the race was pretty lopsided. Mariella, I want to bring you back. When we have better data on the demographics of this election, let's do a show with you. Let's do a deep dive into what happened to the Latino community in this election in general. Will you do that with us? I'll be happy to do it. Thank you. Wonderful. All right. Mariella Romero, Adam Van Brimmer, Karen O, and Jim Galloway, thank you. We're back live at 2 o'clock this afternoon. In the meantime, I'm Bill Naga. Take care, stay healthy, wear a mask, and get a flu shot, maybe before the 2 o'clock show this afternoon. Take care, everybody.